Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Father, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Christianity is a very emotional religion. It's an emotional faith. Um, it's an emotional understanding and realization of who God is and what God has done. It's actually emotional. It's the kind of knowledge that when it truly dawns on you, it touches you. And Easter is always like this for me. Contemplating all these things in particular is always like this for me. And I really pray that the Lord will help you to really understand because there's a way that we can carry the way and think that everything is okay and not really appreciate what Jesus did. You can know in your head what Jesus did and you can actually get to the point where it doesn't touch you as much. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. From verse 1. Genesis chapter 3. I want us to read together. I want to take your time. Read together. Genesis chapter 3 from verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat of the, we may eat the fruits of the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. God told them you must not even touch it or you will die. Sorry, she said, God said you must not even touch it. We know that what God said in chapter 2 is you should not eat it. But let's not say she's wrong yet. Verse 4. Satan now says, or the serpent now says, you will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, let me take what the serpent said again from the beginning. He says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sowed fig trees, leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, after this, after the serpent had told her, you, 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 look at what happens in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, what was pleasing to her, what was desirable to her? Hallelujah. What happened here? is the eternal template, is the eternal pattern. Is the eternal template, is the eternal pattern for 
all our sinfulness and all our evil. The serpent started by telling her something. He started by saying, you will not surely die. Communicating something that what God said will happen, the commandment that God gave you is not really that much of a big deal. It's not really that much of a big deal. Two things. The serpent communicated something to her. This thing that God said you should not do is not really that much of a big deal. It's not so much of an issue. You will not die. What will happen is something else. What God said you should not do, if you do it, is not so much a big deal. It's not that bad. Then the second thing that happened was that she saw it and she felt it was desirable for herself. Satan started saying, you, 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 you. And then she received it and started saying, I, I like it. It is desirable to me. It is pleasing to me. She found it pleasing to herself. Sometimes people say things like, no joking, when we Christians are joking, we say, oh God, who sent Adam a message? If Adam had not done this thing, all of us would have been in the Garden of Eden, flexing, lounging, enjoying ourselves, and we won't have all these problems. You know, we joke like that. But in reality, in reality, let me tell you what actually happens. Every single day, every single day, we do what Adam and Eve did over and over and over and over every single day. Every single day. This thing that we joke about, that we say Adam should not have done this. And when you are preaching about sin, you talk about how Adam rebelled against God and then he died spiritually and then God judged him for it. How could Adam have done that? What did Adam do? Why did he do this kind of thing? It is rubbish that he did. Bruv. Sister. What Adam and Eve did here, we do it every single day. Every single day. Over and over and over and over again. Every single day, we find ourselves doing something that is pleasing to us, not what is pleasing to God. Eve saw it and she saw that it was pleasing to the eyes and desirable. Every single day, we make decisions and we do things and we go in the direction of what we consider pleasing to ourselves. What we consider pleasing to us every single day. And the reason why, as I'm speaking now, it has not started touching you, but don't worry, it will touch you before the end, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason why is actually a testament to how, see, if, if not for Jesus. The reason why I'm saying, what I'm saying now does not yet sound like a big deal is a proof of this issue. Every single day, you make decisions of what is pleasing and desirable to you, not what is pleasing to God. Not what God has said. Every single day we go our own way. Every single day we go about things that are convenient for us. Things that are comfortable for us. We make decisions on things. We choose things that we find good in our eyes. Whether or not God commanded them. 
And the funny thing, the second terrible thing about it is that over and over, just like Satan told, the serpent told Eve, told her that it's not such a big deal. Every single day when we're making these decisions or things that are, that are for our comfort, things that we find desirable, we tell ourselves it's not such a big deal. Kilo litonye. Every day, we do things that are, cons- that are desirable to ourselves and we tell ourselves this thing is not such a big deal. This thing is not such a big deal. Every single day, over and over again. And the fact that we don't even think that it's such a big deal itself is the evidence of our sinfulness. The reason why choosing what you want over what God commands over and over and over, the reason why it does not feel like a big deal is actually the evidence of your sinfulness. It's actually the evidence of your sinfulness. Over and over and over again, our entire carnal nature, our entire flesh and the entire society that we build around and all the things of the systems of this world that we build over and over consistently it's all about there are some things that we consider good in our own eyes. There are some things that we consider wise. Some things that we consider desirable. Some things that we consider pleasing. And we don't see a big deal on why it should not be so. To the point that when someone even tells us that it should not be so, we think the person must be crazy. We don't feel the sting of how evil the things that we do. But guess what? Whenever a man makes a choice to choose what is pleasing to him and not what God has commanded, what, 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 what is not the will of God, he's doing a great evil, even though he doesn't feel like it. Every single day, you are making choices of things that you consider good to yourself, but you don't realize that those choices you are making are actually great evils. They are actually great evils. They don't feel evil. They don't feel bad. They don't feel wrong. They don't feel like such a bad thing. You look at Adam and Eve and you think these people are crazy. How could they have done this? How could they have disobeyed what God said expressly? But bro, you do it every single day. The same way you don't feel like it was such a bad thing is the same way Eve did not feel like it was such a bad thing. You know what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? The way you consistently make choices, don't worry, you see. The way you consistently make choices of things that are pleasing to you and they don't feel like such a big deal is the same way Adam and Eve looked at that thing and they thought it was good and pleasing to be wise. It was a way to be like God. They judged it as not such a big deal. What is the worst that could happen? In fact, there's an angle to it whereby it is even they even thought that what they were doing was actually good in a sense. There are many things that you do on a daily basis that you think is good, but are actually great evils. You think it's desirable. Is wisdom not a good thing? Is wisdom not a good thing? She said she looked at it and saw that it was good for food. 
pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. She actually thought that what she, what she was doing was good. Every single day, you do things that you think are good. Some you think they're not such a big deal, but they're actually evil. And this is the reason why Adam and Eve can stand as good representatives for all of us. Let me show you something. Galatians chapter 5. This feeling that every day we choose ourselves, we choose what we want, we choose what is good to us. This feeling of choosing what you think is good unto yourself every day and not thinking of it as such a big deal, as not such a bad thing. It manifests in two ways. There are two ways that our, with, that our flesh tells us that our flesh tells us that what we are doing is not such a good thing or that what we are doing is actually, is not such a bad thing or what we are doing is such a good, it's not really a big deal. There are two ways that it manifests. The first way is that you can recognize that something is evil. There are some things that we legitimately recognize that is evil or we recognize that there's a standard of goods that we should acquire to. And in our minds, by our power, we can get it. That's one way that that feeling of Choosing or thinking of evil as not such a big deal. That's one of the ways it manifests. Evil is a big deal. Choosing what you want over what God has commanded is a big deal, even when it doesn't feel like that. One of the ways that it manifests is the sense of self-righteousness. When you look at yourself and you say things like, or you think in your mind that, I know that God has a standard, but achieving it is not, is not difficult. I can't. If I try hard enough, if I try hard enough, I have that ability inside of me. The self-righteousness assumes that the sin and the evil that we are doing is not so much. That compared to us, those sins are small. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Self-righteousness, the feeling that I can meet the standard of righteousness, assumes, first of all, you have to assume that sin is not just it's not a big deal. And you have the inherent capacity to live above sin or to meet God's standard. The second way that it manifests, which is more obvious in our daily lives, when, uh, to explain it, is that there are a lot of things that we actually do every day that we think of it and we think that it's not such, it's not so bad. Every day we do little things, we make little decisions that are part of our lives, and we think it's not so bad. It's not. It's not such an evil, but it's great evil. Let me show you some things. Galatians chapter 5. From verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. So, you are not meant to do whatever you want. Every day, we consistently live our lives doing whatever we want. Whatever we see pleasing and good to ourselves. But we are actually not meant to live our lives living it the way we want. That thinking itself, that I can live my life the way I want itself, is Adam and Eve's evil. 
Because the flesh has things that it wants. You cannot just live your life the way you want. Rather, you must live your life by the dictates of the Spirit. Let me show you something. It says, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. So this is one dimension. There are some things that are obvious that we know they are bad, but in our mind, they're not such a big deal. There are some things that we see that are obvious, that they are bad, and we tell ourselves they're not such a big deal. We can live above them because they are obvious. So I can live above them. But when you begin to look critically, you begin to find out that actually these things that are obvious, I've been living it in my life daily. And evil is evil. Evil is what? Evil. One drop of poison in a cup of water does not make that cup of water less poisonous. Did you hear what I just said now? He said the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Number one, sexual immorality. Self-righteousness will tell you that I don't fornicate. Some will say I used to, but I don't anymore. I'm past that. I used to, but I don't anymore. I'm past that. I have the Holy Spirit. I've been sanctified. Hallelujah. So I don't do that anymore. Are you sure? Because the time that that lady walked past by and you took a second look and images came to your mind, you committed sexual immorality. How can looking be such a big deal? Adam and Eve. How can looking the second time be such a big deal? Adam and Eve. You just fell. You just deserve to leave the Garden of Eden. Whenever you look at the person lustfully, whenever you go on social media as an individual of a lady comes up with their test traps, sexual immorality. Every time you watch Netflix and you look at someone in a funny way, sexual immorality. Every time you look at someone else and consider them and think of them intimately in your mind, sexual immorality. How can just thinking about somebody that way be, be, be such a bad thing? Exactly the plot. The fact that you don't even think it's a big deal is an evidence of how sinful you are. You think you'll have done better than Adam and Eve, but you will have not. You would have done the same thing because you've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Says impurity. Impurity. Impure speech. Nasty speech. Things that are just inappropriate. Things that are impure. Things that are not good. Things that are not virtuous. Impurity in thoughts, impurity in action. Slander, impure thoughts. They told you something about somebody. When you were relaying the information, you added a little bit of information for clarity. But that little bit of information that you added for clarity has distorted the image of the person you are speaking about in the mind of that person. How can that be such a big deal, Adam and Eve? In your mind, it was good and pleasing so that the person can understand how terrible this person is. That's Adam and Eve. That thing you did now is a great evil. You've actually murdered the person. 
Does it feel like such a big deal? It is a big deal. The butchery, idolatry. How many times have we made decisions on a daily basis choosing, choosing things that we cannot say no to? Over and over and over, there are many things in our lives that we have found ourselves constantly bowing down to that we don't say no to. Once that thing comes up, we follow it. That's idolatry. That is idolatry. There are things in our life that once they come up, we cannot say no to them. You say, ah, and you, well, we joke about it. We live it daily and we think it's normal. We live it daily and we think it's normal. You say, ah, ah, me and enjoyment. No, I like to enjoy. We joke about these things every single day. Witchcraft. People think that witchcraft is until you go to somewhere to sacrifice things and speak evil concerning someone. Whenever you do things and concoct things in such a way that they are harmful to another person's image, you're already doing witchcraft. Yes. When you sit down to imagine things you, in your mind, even though you don't have the power to carry it out, in your mind, you look at someone and you imagine that evil will happen to them. Let me tell you, it's not even only when you imagine. If you find out any part of your heart that someone, even when the person did something wrong to you, legitimately in your past, the person actually did wrong to you, and you find out that somewhere in your mind, mind you know, deep down inside you, you know, that if they come and they tell you that something bad happened to the person, you will not be sad. As witchcraft. But you don't know. But how is that a big deal? Adamadi. How is that a big deal? I'm in a hurry. I need to come to church. And the traffic light says yellow. I'm supposed to slow down. And it says red. Even last smart people are terrible people. Break the traffic rule and speed down to church. I'm a worker in church. Adam and Eve. Great evil. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. That means when you look at a person and something good is happening for the person and you don't have sincere joy that is happening for that person, jealousy and hatred is at work in your heart, but you don't know. Hallelujah. So tell you what I'm saying to you. It says fits of rage, selfish ambition, every single day, People are making decisions. We are making decisions about what is pleasing to us at the expense of other people, at the expense of believers like you. Every single day, your decision, your primary decision-making um, um, principle, your primary decision-making principle is what is good for me? What is good for me? What is convenient for me? What will be safer for me? Every single day. We live with people and we do good with people 
only as much as, as they help you to achieve what is good for you. Even your family members, even your friends. In many ways, you know that you serve them only as much as they serve you. You make choice of marriage partners, you make choice of friends, you treat your siblings, you treat your parents, you treat your cousins like that. You do good to them only as much as it suits you. You make choice of spouses based on that only as much as it suits you. Hallelujah. Church out together. Dissensions, factions, that desire and feeling for tribalism, for my people versus their people, that desire and passion for my people versus their people, that desire to want to put other people from other groups down, people from other churches down, that instinct for tribal animosity, that people that are not in our camp, in our, in our compound, there are some of the neighbors that were in a certain clique, and we will treat those kind of other people that are not in our clique in a certain way. Those neighbors don't smile, but we, we smile with each other. So when we are doing things and organizing contributions in the church or in the compound, we will treat those people a certain way. Factions and dissensions. Every single day, we are making decisions for those things because those things are about what is pleasing to us. Every single day. Envies, drunkenness and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you look at these things and you say, these things are not such a big deal. Let me show you the second part of it. Where you think that Okay, all these ones that you said, I'm still doing okay. I'm still trying. I'm still trying. You know, I think I'm good. Let me show you where you are not good. He now says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Every time that your conduct falls short of the divine standard of love, you have done great evil. But it doesn't feel like a bad thing. It doesn't feel like a bad thing. It doesn't feel like I'm doing such a terrible thing, but you are doing such a ter terrible thing. Every time you act or speak or think towards another person in a way that is not up to the standard of God's divine love, that means that is the standard whereby you are looking to the good of the person at whatever expense it is to yourself every single day that you make take actions or think in ways that fall short of that standard. You are doing evil. But it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel so wrong. It doesn't feel so bad. The reason why it doesn't feel so wrong and the reason why it doesn't feel so bad itself is the, is the proof of your sinfulness. That's why you will notice something. You will notice that every time you grow in sanctification, every time you spend more time with God, Every time you stay among God's people and you're hearing God's word consistently and you have certain kinds of experiences where you feel that subjective presence of God in your heart or in your spirit in such a real tangible way where you feel the holiness of God, you will notice 
that some of the things that you used to say and do before suddenly feel very bad. You notice that as you are growing spiritually, the kind of things that you used to say before, where you just use the name of Jesus anyhow, like an exclamation, all of a sudden it feels wrong because my Lord is hallowed. His name is a name above every other name. I can't just call that name anyhow. The reason why you are doing evil every day, you are choosing yourself every day over what the will of God is, and it doesn't feel wrong, is actually because of your sinfulness. Say the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You know that every time that you don't maintain that same spirit of joy, of salvation, it means that you are falling short of God's standard. What do you think sin is? Sin means to miss the mark. It's not, do you understand that? Sin is to miss the mark. It's not to achieve something. Righteousness is not I achieved something. Sin is I missed the mark. So that means that if the mark is here and you came here, see, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Did you hear what I just said now? Even if the standard is here and you miss it by an inch, it is still sin. It doesn't feel like sin. It doesn't look so bad. When you look at other people, you'll say, at least me, I still tried. I still aimed high. But you are still in sin. That's why Jonah says that everybody, the spirit and the flesh are contrary to each other so that they cannot agree. That means that anytime you're not walking in joy, you're walking in the flesh, you're walking in sinfulness. How many times has, has Lagos Lagos to you and took your joy away in your mind? How can it be such a bad thing for a Christian not to have the joy of salvation? It is a bad thing. It's a sin. Yes. It doesn't feel wrong, but it's the truth. Because every time you don't have the joy of salvation, you are murmuring. And every time you are murmuring, you are angry at God. Do you know what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? Every time something takes away your joy, that thing has made you angry at God. Because you either have joy or you are angry. You cannot be in the middle. Every time poverty did something to you and took your joy, Every time someone broke your heart and it took your joy. Every time your boss did something in the office and it took your joy. Every time something funny happened and it took your joy. In that moment, in that moment, your anger, if it is not at the evil, you are angry at God. Just like what I'm saying to you. It says, peace, forbearance, kindness, how many times have we chosen not to be temperate and to bear the evil happening to us or the suffering happening to us? How many times have we told and said to another person, I've had enough of your rubbish, I'll deal with you today? How many times have we thought it? How many times in different ways have we stopped persevering, stopped holding on, stopped being patient, even despite the suffering that is happening to us. How many times have we been unkind in speech? How many times have we been nasty to people? How many times have we said things to people just so that we can get the maximum effect of them feeling the kind of pain that we're also feeling? How many times? That's the reason why we conduct ourselves all the time on social media. Nigeria has been painful. Nigeria has hurt me. They have mismanaged the commonwealth. They have done so much evil to me. And I'm feeling a lot of pain. 
I'm seeing the currency in my hand devaluing and it cannot do what it used to do. I'm feeling a lot of pain. And you there, you are telling me you are going to support the party that did this. You are telling me you are going to support a political candidate that I don't believe can take this pain away. I've suffered so much and I'm feeling this pain. But it's like you're not feeling it with me because if you're feeling it with me, you would not be supporting someone that I believe that can stop this pain. Therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that you feel the pain I'm feeling. I will make sure you feel the pain I'm feeling. So I'll call you names. I will say things you did not say. I will use words in a way that will make people look at you like a bad person. I will destroy your public image. And every single time someone says something on social media and tweet, and you just go and comment and just add to that evil, that public mobbing they are giving the person. That's unkindness. That's unkindness. How can a simple tweet expressing myself be such a bad thing? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Now this is the funny thing. Because we live our lives daily like this. The more we live our lives daily like this, the more we feel like as if all these little things are not such a big thing. All these things are not such an evil, but they are a great evil. By God's judgment standard, all these things that you do every day, that's why people come and say, um, adultery is a bad thing. Jesus now says, see, bro, adultery is not until you sleep with someone's wife physically. When you just think evil concerning someone, you have done adultery already. He says, ah, you should not murder someone. If you murder someone, your capital punishment is your own. I say, bro, it's not by... Until you kill someone, if you can just look at your brother and angrily curse the person, express your anger at the person by saying, Raka, fool. How many times have we done that? You say you have murdered the person. Hebrews chapter, th chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God, be but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may become hardened by the sin's deceitfulness. This is the eternal deceitfulness of sin, that sin con continues to multiply in our lives by making us feel like it is not such a bad thing. This is the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to me. All your sense of self-righteousness, all the feeling that you are having like I'm not such a bad person is because sin has deceived you. Sin is killing you. It is the person that sin is killing that looks at himself and thinks I'm not such a bad person. You are a bad person. You are a depraved person. Everything that you think and do every day, you consistently choose yourself over what God's will is. You don't meet the standard. You don't meet the standard of love. You don't meet the standard of joy. You don't meet the standard of peace. You don't meet the standard of perseverance. You don't meet the standard of long suffering. You don't. You don't. The reason why you feel like I'm such a good person is because sin is deceiving you and sin is killing you. And this is what he now says. Be careful so that sin does not harden you the more. So the more sin deceives you to make you feel like you're a good person, 
is the more you feel, the more hardened you become. The sin here in context is a sin of unbelief. And listen to me, every act of sin is a little act of atheism. I hope you know that. Do you know that? Every time you willingly make a decision of choosing yourself over God is a little act of atheism. You are acting like as if God does not exist. Because in that moment, you are not thinking of God. In that moment, it's like as if God does not exist in your mind when you are making that decision. Has anybody ever made the decision and they felt like as if Jesus is standing next to me and Jesus in his holiness, in his kindness and goodness and purity of heart is standing next to you and you will see someone on social media and you will say something evil about the person even though you know that it's going to cause much pain for the person. Would you? Would you? That moment while you are tweeting that thing, you are tweeting as if God does not exist. You're driving in your car and you see a fine girl with many skirts passing by. Or you're walking your estate and a girl is jogging. Right? Don't I watch a lot of movies so I can relate to this thing. So don't think it's me that's happening so right now. You're walking in your estate and somebody is jogging with skippy shirts and then you two, you now turn back and look. Ask yourself honestly, if you believe that Jesus was jogging with you or walking in the estates with you, would you turn? Would you look at it? Every sin is a little act of atheism. Now, this is the weird thing. Is that sin deceitfulness is that it makes you feel like what you are doing is not such a big deal. So that because you feel like it's not such a big deal, you keep doing it more and more. And the more you do it, the more hardened you become. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. From verse 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. When the more you do sin, sin deceives you and it robs you of your sensitivity. That's why you will notice that the moment you begin to do certain evils, the more you begin to do them. The moment you begin to do certain things, it will make you feel like as if it was not such a big deal. That's why sin is at the door and wants to destroy people's souls. It makes you feel like it's not such a big deal. It is the eternal pattern of Adam and Eve. Has God said, this thing is not so bad. Hallelujah. Church, all together. This thing is not so bad. And over and over and over, we are losing sensitivity. And we are doing those things over and over and over. But this is the thing. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 20. It says, When you were seen slaves to sin, you were free from the control of of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. 
He says the result of sin is death. He said what resulted from those things that you used to do, it was death. You look at it and say, this thing I'm doing is not so bad. I'm telling you that that feeling itself, that this thing is not so bad, is seen already at work in your members. That thing that you think is not so bad, the just recompense of it is actually death. Every time you do something contrary to the will of God, God has commanded something, and you choose to do yourself to um, do what you want for yourself instead, what you are doing is that you are cutting yourself off from God who is the source of life. Shall I get offense to you? You are cutting yourself off from God who is the source of life. Every time you slander someone, it's not such a big deal. The just recompense is what? Death. Ezekiel 18. For everyone belongs to me. The parents as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will what? The one who misses the mark is the one who will die. Nobody can have any sense of entitlement to life when they have deviated from the purpose that they were created for. The reason why you feel like Death is too much of a judgment for you. It's actually the proof that judgment, death is a good judgment for you. <laughs> the reason why you feel like as if judgment is too much for me, how bad is my sin? How bad is it? What did I do that was so bad? The reason why you feel like that itself shows that you are your heart and your soul, that nature, that makeup of you is in rebellion against God. That nature sees the will of God and wants to stand outside of it and doesn't think that standing outside of the will of your creator is a big deal. That feeling itself is worthy of death. That feeling itself shows that you have become like a factory reject. You have come out of what your creator pre-create planned for you for. And if your creator planned you to be in a certain way and you decide that you don't want to be a certain way, what is the use of you? Do you hear what I just said that? Mm. Mm. Oh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 31. It says they have no understanding. They have no fidelity. They have no love. They have no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Every time we do evil, we deserve death. It doesn't feel like it, but you do. It doesn't feel like what I did is so wrong, but you actually do. And not only do you deserve death for doing it, every time that you don't condemn those that do it, you deserve death too. In every way, that you passively or actively endorse evildoers, you deserve death too. Even when you think like as if I'm walking by love and joy and peace, and I don't do debauchery, and I don't do witchcraft, and I don't do anything, but let's live and let live. Let everybody live their lives so that you can also live your life. You are approving of evildoers. You also deserve death. Bro, listen to me. You deserve death. Listen to me. 
You are doing what Adam and Eve did over and over and over. In your mind, what I'm doing is not such a big deal. Bro, you deserve death. Church, listen. By our natures, by what we've done, by what we deserve, we deserve death. We indeed deserve death. We deserve death. We do. It doesn't always feel like it, but we do. If God in his holiness that cannot behold evil, in his righteousness and his inability to, to behold any kind of iniquity, if we were to act based on his standard, none of us would survive. But this is the thing, and I don't know about you. I want to know God. I know all the sins I carry, and I'm not even deceiving myself. God's word makes it clear that I miss the standard by myself. By myself, I miss the standard. But this is the thing. I want to know God. I want to see his beauty and his glory. I want to one day stand in his presence and behold the glory and the beauty of his presence. I want to experience the kind of love that John would have experienced when he laid his head on the chest of Jesus. I want to know what it's like for Jesus to hug a person and say, I love you, you have done well. I want to know the kind of joy, the kind of pure joy that nothing in this world, because deep down inside of me, I know there's a hole in my heart and I know that there's a kind of joy that all the good things I've enjoyed in this world cannot touch. But nothing in this world can seem to give me that joy. I notice that there's a joy in this world that all the things that I, that I get, that no matter how nice it is, within a few weeks, max, max, that joy is gone. Nothing in this world gives me consistent, unrelenting, pure joy. I remember the last time I bought a smart TV and I was feeling like I now have a panel to myself. And I sat up one night, tried to set up the TV, downloading all the apps and setting. I remember the joy I felt. Now I barely even watch it anymore. I know the feeling of buying a new iPhone. And the way you feel, trying to set up all the apps. And when you buy a new laptop, trying to set up all the apps. But I know that those joys, they don't last. I know the joy of when you first got married. And the joy of when you have kids. And the joy of when your, when your daughters call you daddy, it touches you, but I notice something. It doesn't touch. There's still a hope. There's still a kind of glory. I want to experience it, and by myself, I will never, because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. If God is my creator, and I've said this many times, if God is my creator, and he created me for himself, and we've noticed that the height of every kind of pleasure and fulfillment comes when an entity is fulfilling its purpose. If God created me for himself and he's ultimately my purpose, it means that the greatest pleasure and fulfillment I will have is when I'm, one with that, when I'm at one with God again. I know that there's no joy, no love, no peace, no glory that will ever be greater than if Jesus looks at me and say, my son, you have done well. It's the kind of glory that no amount of pain in this world can touch. 
no amount of pain in this world can touch. No amount of pain in this world. Have you ever longed for something so badly? Like maybe you wanted a job, a particular kind of high-paying job, and you wanted it so badly. And listen, imagine, imagine the night before. During the night, you had a terrible nightmare. You had watched one Kanayo Kanayo film, and you had dreamt all kind of terrible things over the night, of witches chasing you, and three-headed elephants trying to eat you, and all that, and you had a terrible dream, and you woke up. And then, someone now gives you an appointment letter. Giving you that job you've been looking for in real life. Giving you that job you've been looking for. That is paying you times 10x. And the working environment is awesome. And it's fully remote. And they will send you all the work tools in your house. And it's like a dream job. Imagine you wake up from a nightmare to that kind of appointment letter. Will you remember that dream? Would you remember that dream? Even when someone asks you, what did you dream about? You're like, I can't remember. That is what will happen one day. When we wake up and we are in his presence again. And all the things we've happened, that have happened in this world. Where people have broken our hearts. Where Lagos did us dirty. And when Nigeria's president did us dirty. And you know, your children did something. And your parents hurt you. And your siblings hurt you. And a pastor took advantage of you. And members of your church did not, did not come for you. Or to, they did not remember you when you were sick. All the evils in this world. If we wake up into God's presence, there will be nothing. The joy. It will make all those things look like a bad dream and you can't even remember anymore. But we don't deserve that glory. Well, guess what? We see the second Adam that came. He did not make the mistake of the first Adam. He did not come and think of his sin as small things, of sin as small things, because he was tempted in every way, but was without sin. But he did not come and think of sin as small things. Where Adam and Eve were saying, this is good and pleasing for me to do. He was saying, I have come to do the will of my father. I have come to do that which is pleasing unto him. When Satan came to tempt him in the wilderness and asked him to turn stones to bread, he didn't look at it and say, let me do what is convenient. I'm hungry. The 40 days are over. I think it's time for me to eat. He didn't do what was pleasing to him. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but at every word that comes out of the mouth of my father. That means I want to do the will of my father, not what is convenient for me. How many times have you turned stones to bread? How many times have you done something convenient for yourself? They asked him to jump from the top of the temple and angels would tell him, say, no, I will not tell my father. I will not do what seems good in my eyes. I will do what is good in his eyes. That's why when it was prophesied concerning him by the prophet, he said he will not do that. He said, this, the prophet said concerning him that he will not judge by his wisdom, but he will judge concerning what is good in the eyes of his father. He asked him, come and take all the kingdoms of this world and bow down to me. He said, no, I will not do what is good in my eyes. I will bow down to only one person. The night he was imprisoned and he was arrested, just before they came to get him, what was he praying? He knew what the will of his father was and he knew that it was a very painful thing. He knew that it was the ultimate kind of pain that any human being can... can, can. There's something I learned recently and I shall tell you about it. I think I mentioned it sometime during the week also. The greater the consciousness of an entity, the more self-aware a living thing is, the more suffering that thing can suffer. That's why your cat and your dog cannot suffer heartbreak like you. Do you know what I just said now? 
That's why when you, if an animal is killed in the streets, you don't feel the same suffering. The animal does not feel the same suffering as someone who has gone through the Holocaust. The higher the consciousness of a living being, the more the suffering, the more self-aware, the more your mind is big, the bigger your mind, the more your mind has space to, 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 um, to process suffering and the more you suffer. That's why when you beat a child, because it did not take sugar, after the child finished um, crying and every after five minutes, once you give the child um, cocoa melon or something to watch, everything is okay. But if an adult that has been in a relationship for 10 years, you break his heart, you know cocoa melon cannot solve the problem. You know it's not Netflix that will solve that kind of problem. The more self-aware you are, the more you're suffering. So when God, who is the mind and consciousness from whom all things came, the ground of reality, when we say Jesus, the Logos, God's mind, the embodiment of God's nature, when we say he suffered, his three days of suffering is not your three days of suffering. See what I just said now? His one hour of suffering is not your one hour of suffering. His one minute of suffering is infinite. He took the seas of the whole world. His suffering is not your suffering. His suffering was a great deal. And he was aware. He was aware of how much this pain and suffering was coming. It was said that he was crying and blood was dropping. He said, yet not I, but your will. That's what the second madam did. Where the, second, where the first Adam was looking for what was good and pleasing his own sight, the second Adam was saying, I will suffer, but it is your will I will do. Then he became a great high priest for us. Hallelujah. Praise God. In suffering for us, he now got certain rights. Oh, I want to read certain things for you so I can understand. Hebrews chapter 3. Let me read some things for you so I can understand. Hebrews chapter 3. Ah, no, let me start from chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, rather. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 12. I would rather start from verse 14. Let's start from Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 14. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of death of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered, when he was tempted, he, was able to, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. So we have the second Adam. Who did not make the mistake that we make every week, every day? Who, does not, who did not do the evil that we do every day? Who never for once chose his own way or chose what the flesh wanted but consistently wanted to do what the will of his father? That one suffered for us. When we were meant to suffer, he took the suffering of all of us. There is nobody suffering for sin that is missing from the one he did. Did you hear what I just said now? Your suffering is not missing from the one that he carried. Your suffering was included. Your evil was included. Every time you choose yourself over God, the, the death that you deserve, he took it. If he had fallen prey or fallen for sin for at any point in time, 
if he had done the will of his own self instead of the will of his father at any point in time, then he would have had to make atonement for his own first. But guess what? He had no sins to atone for. Glory to Jesus. So he has all this space because the magnitude of an entity also is the magnitude of their sin. If the maximally great entity can commit sin, it means that the amount of atonement required for his own sin will be what? Well, guess what? He was without sin. Hallelujah. So he has all this space. He has the rights. He has the space. He has the rights to say, I will carry on. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Oh, glory. Look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Let's go to chapter 7. From verse 23. You know, it says, Now there have been many high priests. Oh, glory to Jesus. Let me say something before we read. You know what this, this, this great high priest did? You know what this great high priest now did? He died and suffered, took all our sin for us. And then he rose again. The, his father vindicated him. The Holy Spirit vindicated him, showing that truly he was without sin. For God will not raise a sinner from the dead. Hallelujah. If, if God should raise someone that has committed even one sin, it means that he's endorsing that one sin. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Hey, that's why the early church, we read it together. The early church, they were all unknown. A little level levels the whole love. There are some matters that is either 100 or zero, no gray area. If you have committed one sin, the father could not vindicate him because that evil that he did, the world will be able to say they can do it because after all, if God can resurrect you despite committing this one sin, then that one sin must be okay. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? God vindicated one that did not commit any sin. He had the right. He raised him up from the dead, showing that this man is pure. My seal of approval is on him. He's my beloved son that I'm, I'm well pleased. Then he rose up from the dead and went to the, the, to the right hand of the father. The place of all authority, his rightful place. And there he built a sanctuary. That sanctuary that he built is the type that Moses saw in a vision and built on the earth. Do you know what I just said now? Oh, glory to Jesus. He went and rose up from the dead and went to that sanctuary, the kind of sanctuary that Moses saw and built on the earth that Aaron and his descendants were offering, um, you know, sacrifices in. Well, guess what? All these things that we're seeing, there's one part, one crucial part that we'll never talk about, was that he himself was the lamb that was slain. So he slew himself like a lamb, rose up as eternal high priest, and is making atonement in a sanctuary that he built by himself that is eternal. So an eternal slain, an eternal lamb, that his death, because he's eternal, his death is speaking forever, rose again to become the high priest that can never die without sin, in a temple that can never be destroyed because he built it by himself. So that there is no sin that can escape, that cannot be taken care of. This is how I know that one day I will stand in his presence without fear and guilt and without shame. And I will be able to say, my father, my God, I will be able to say it one day because I know that I'm not a good person. I know the evil that I do. I know that I'm probably going to still do something wrong tomorrow. But I know that the eternal high priest is making intercessions for me eternally. Hebrews 7 verse 23 says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented from continuing in office. A high priest must make intercessions for you, but the human high priest always die. But because Jesus, verse 24, but because Jesus lives forever, he has made a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. I have come to God. I am saved completely. Because he lives to intercede for them. Your sins cannot outlive him. 
You cannot outlive him. Humanity cannot outlive him. He exists forever. He lives forever to make intercessions for us. Verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Rather, no, he was without sin. He now says, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself, being the eternal lamb, the all-powerful lamb, the all-encompassing lamb, the lamb that created all things by himself. He had the bandwidth to sacrifice himself once and for all for all their sins because there's nothing that exists that did not come by and through him. So there's nothing that is bigger than him. Therefore, nothing in creation can be bigger than his sacrifice. Did you hear what I just said? Nothing in this creation can be bigger than Jesus. And that is why no sin you can commit can be bigger than his sacrifice. None. For the law appoints as high priests many their weakness. But the ones which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Verse 8. Now, chapter 8 now says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. The main point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who deserves, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Hallelujah. Every high, no, they don't stop there. So we have an eternal high priest who was the lamb slain eternally for us, doing it in an eternal sanctuary. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I am ransomed. I've been bought. I'm pardoned. There's no sin I have that has not been taken care of. I've been, my sins have been atoned for. That's why I want us to do something. I want us to look at something. As I want us to look at, I want us to do something. Let's do something this morning. There's a hymn that we sang. There's a hymn that we sang. I started singing it and I became emotional. I become emotional because I thought about it. Every day I do things pleasing to me. I deserve death. I deserve death. I deserve death for someone made the sacrifice for me. And that's why there's this hymn that we sing. We need to look at this, the wordings very well. And we're going to close with this. We need to look at the wordings very well. The hymn says... Before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea. That means there is a plea, you know, when you go to court and someone has made a case on your behalf. I have one that is strong and is perfect, that is irrefutable. He says, a great high priest whose name is Love. My high priest that is eternal, his name is Love. He leaves and pleads for me eternally. He says, look at it, just picture this. Jesus at the right hand of the Father, whose very presence and standing is the evidence of your justification. He says, my name is graven on his card, on his hand. He's looking at you like this and saying, I'm seeing your sins. I've taken care of it. It's not like as if you can forget. It's not, there can never be a time when you say, um, you are not in my mind. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written in his heart. So no tongue can bid me thence depart. That means no tongue can ever come and tell me, you're not good enough. Satan can't tell me you're not good enough. I can't tell myself you're not good enough. Did you hear I just said that? He said, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. When Satan comes to tell me that I'm not good enough, 
when Satan tells me, comes to tell me that, see, you're, you deserve death. You ought to die. I just look up and I see him there. I just want to look up and see him there. He says, I just look up and see him there. He made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is free. I am free. For God, the just is justified. The God who is holy, that cannot see any, that can never behold any sin, has made a way out so that every one of us can be justified. So God remains holy. And yet, even though we are sinful, we have a way out. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah. Can we thank you, Jesus? Oh, you rose again for us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we will live for you. We will live for you. Because you loved us first, we will love you too. We will choose you all the days of our lives. In every decision, we will choose you. We will not do what is pleasing in our eyes. But we will emulate your great example and we will do what is pleasing in the eyes of our Father. We will live our lives for you. Just as you died, we died in you. And as you rose, we have risen again into your, a new life. We will live for you. We will live for you. We will live for you. We will grow in sanctification. We will grow in holiness. We will consecrate all our things and all our doings and all our speech and all our thoughts to you and to you alone. We will live for you. We will fulfill your purpose for us. Your will will be only what is sweet in our mouths. We will live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. Hallelujah. You are good. You are good, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I pray for every one of you. I pray for every one of you. I pray for every one of you. That just as he has given us his Holy Spirit as a foretaste, you will begin to enjoy a foretaste of heaven. In the name of Jesus. You begin to enjoy the down payment in reality in your things. In the name of Jesus. I pray for every one of you. I don't know if your faith is here. I don't know if your heart is here. I don't know if you believe with us. So the gathering of the saints, Jesus is here. And the great cloud of witnesses are tenants, angels being here also. I pray for you in the name of Jesus, in faith, that you'll begin to enjoy a foretaste of heaven even now. You'll begin to see the glory of God in your lives. You'll begin to enjoy the joy of the Holy Ghost in your life. You'll begin to experience the love of God in your heart in a real way. In the name of Jesus. There is a peace called a peace that passes all human understanding. A peace that nothing in Lagos, in Nigeria can touch. By the power of God, because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you will begin to enjoy that peace. In the name of Jesus. 
what was meant to cause you sorrow will bring joy to you you have an inner strength and grace that counts sorrow to be joy that even in the midst of the storm you will walk on water calmly you will begin to enjoy that foretaste of heaven in the name of Jesus as we are aware today as we focus and see Jesus the risen king we begin to have these experiences in our lives your Christianity will not be a dead Christianity your Christianity will not be a sleeping Christianity your Christianity will not be a, an unconscious Christianity your work with God will be alive it will be hot it will be fiery it will be active it will be palpable people will be able to touch you and touch God in the name of Jesus he's alive hallelujah Jesus is alive glory to God Jesus is alive Praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.